0: If you have your Bible or the scripture sheet in the bulletin, uh, you can look there at Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 23. We are finishing up today our our series in the first two chapters of Matthew. Uh, We've been kind of tracing out Matthew's version of the Christmas story, and we've seen a couple things. Number one, we've seen uh, Matthew likes to tell stories that no one else tells. He likes to give us unique uh, details about the birth of Jesus, and this week is no exception to that. Uh, As I read, you're going to see that the story is a little bit darker maybe than you thought or maybe you remembered if it's been a while since you've heard this. Uh, Let's read verses 13 to 23. When they had gone, that is the Magi, that's they, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and younger in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, He was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. This is God's word. One of my uh, favorite Christmas traditions is the tradition of stringing lights outside of the house. Not that I like to do that, but I like to look at it once it's done. Anybody else with me there? Uh, yesterday, I put my lights out in front of my house. I know, I'm behind quite a bit, but yesterday was the day for me, and so I spent a lot of time climbing on the roof, on ladders, risking life and limb, so that in, in the night, and it gets really dark really early, doesn't it, this time of year, you can go outside, and in the stillness and the coldness of the night, you can see something that shines. You can see something beautiful in the deadness. You can see something that looks warm in the coldness, right? I like riding around the neighborhood, and some of my neighbors put me to shame around here. I mean, we've got some, go down Fifth, Fifth Street one night, and there are some awesome light displays right down this road right here. It's my favorite thing because I love how it highlights one of the number one themes of the Christmas story. That Jesus, when he came into the world, when he was born, he did not enter a world that was already bright. He didn't enter a world that was already warm. He didn't enter a world that didn't need a light to shine. He entered a world that was dark and full of violence and brutality, which we saw in the story today. It's a violent story. And yet the reason why Jesus entered a world like that is because, y'all, that's the only world there is. The only world there is, is the world full of darkness full of sin, full of pain, full of suffering, and God sent his son into this world, the world like that, to light a light that would never go out so that people like you and me could once again have hope, so that people like you and me, sinners like us, could once again come back to God and know the warmth of what it means to be in relationship with him. That's why Matthew is telling us this story uh, many people who heard Matthew write this, and maybe some of us this morning who are listening in might, thought, might have thought, well, how does this belong in Christmas? Christmas is supposed to be nice and quaint and beautiful and sweet and gentle and mild, silent night, holy night, and all that stuff. This, is, this has got a lot of blood in it. And Matthew wants to return a response to us. The reason why I want to tell this story is to prove to you that Jesus is better than this world. To prove to you that Jesus is better than Israel even, because if you'll notice, and I, I want to show you this morning as we walk through this passage, at every step along the way, Jesus fulfills what God promised to his people Israel in the Old Testament. In fact, Jesus is the true and the better Israel, coming to bring light to all the nations, light to people like me and you. And so, uh, really, the, the, the application to this morning's sermon is very simple, y'all. It's just, let's worship Jesus today, <laughs> Let's just spend some time thinking about how glorious he is, how much better he is than anyone or anything else. All right, look at your bulletin, and you'll see three ways this story shows us Jesus is better. Three ways Jesus is better. He brings a better rescue. He brings a better restoration. And he brings a better radiance, a better light into the world. Let's look at it. First of all, he brings a better rescue. Uh, that's what Matthew is telling us there in verses 13 to 15. Did you notice how concerned uh, Matthew is to tell us the itinerary of, of little, little baby Jesus? The travel you know, patterns, where he goes and where he comes from and all that stuff. And there's a deep reason behind it. Uh, notice there in verse 13. An angel appeared in a dream to a man named Joseph. That was the man who was to be considered Jesus' dad. An angel appeared in a dream. And because of a dream to a man named Joseph, Jesus went down into Egypt. But he wasn't in Egypt because it was a good place to be. He was in Egypt because it was the only place for him to be. Uh, That that, that, uh, evil and uh, tyrants and dictators had begun to rule over the world. That was the reason why he was in Egypt. And yet God didn't forget him there, but delivered his son out of Egypt and brought him into the promised land. Have you ever heard that story before? Like, does that sound like another story besides the story of Jesus' birth? It should, right? Because in the Old Testament, that's how Israel got its start, right? A man named Joseph had a dream. And it was a dream that made his brothers really, really mad. (laughs) And because his brothers were mad, they sold him violently into slavery, made him go to Egypt, and it ended up being all the brothers ended up going to Egypt. They stayed there for hundreds of years in slavery under Pharaoh, and yet God didn't forget his people. Instead, he met them where they were in their slavery and delivered them out in the Exodus. He rescued them. And all through the history of Israel, that was the one thing that defined God's people, that idea of rescue. To be a person of God, to be a Christian, is to be a rescued person. Being a Christian is not to be a person that says, hey, God is my God because I've done everything right. God's my God because I've gotten my life together, I've gotten my act together, and I've impressed the Lord. That's not what a Christian is, not when it's rightly understood. According to the story of Israel, and according to the story even of Jesus' birth, to be God's people is to be someone who does not have anything that they can do to rescue themselves, but they have instead been rescued by the one who loves to rescue. He loves to be near people who are in trouble, doesn't he? That's why I say this morning, the the application, I think, of this this, uh, text is for us to worship God better. Because we have a God, y'all, who's not with us just on our best day. Isn't that right? We have a God who's not just with us when we do impressive things that other people, you know, ooh and awe about. We have a God who is with us even on our worst days when we're doing our worst things, when we've gotten ourselves into a whole heap of trouble, that's when God likes to be near to us and to exert his power by rescuing his people out of that kind of slavery. That's why Jesus was born into such circumstances like this that forced him and his family to have to go as refugees down into Egypt so that there in Egypt God could rescue Jesus out. But you see, Jesus was a lot better than Israel was. Because when Israel got, you know, released from slavery in Egypt, as soon as they got out into the desert, what did they do? They started sinning. I mean, because after all, even though they they were no longer slaves to Egypt, they were still very much slaves to sin. They were slaves to themselves. They were just like me and you at the end of the day. And so they fell right into a pattern of not listening to God. And yet here Matthew quotes verse 15. He quotes from Hosea chapter 11 which we read earlier in the service. Out of Egypt, I called my son. And even though I called, they didn't listen to me, God says there. But even though they didn't listen to me, yet I still love them. Nobody can separate my people from my love. And so I'm going to come once again, Hosea says, to rescue my people out. And Matthew wants us to hear, when Jesus was born, that's exactly what God was doing. He was coming near to people like us sinners, the broken, the helpless, people who need to learn how to trust in the strength and abilities of another. God's strength and ability came through for us. Do you want to know how to worship Jesus best this morning? Here's the number one way to do it. You worship Jesus best by depending on him the most. He's glorified when his people depend on him. He's not glorified when we you know, put out our chest and say, look how religious I am. Look how good of a person I am. How much better I am than other people around me. That's not how he does. Because remember, God is the God who calls his son out of Egypt. He's the God who rescues his people from trouble. And so this God gets highest praise and greatest glory when we, his people, learn to say, I didn't do it, but he did. I was dead in my sins and trespasses. Anybody else with me there? I was a slave to myself and my selfish desires, and God came and set me free. That's the basic message of Christmas. The basic message of Christmas is that we have been rescued in order to learn how to trust. To learn how to depend, not on ourselves, but on Him. Jesus grew up, and did y'all know He obeyed for you? He was better than Israel because Israel disobeyed, disobeyed, disobeyed. And their whole mission was basically destroyed in the Old Testament. And yet, Jesus, God's son, obeyed every step of the way. He learned how to live a life of dependence on his father for us. Did y'all know Jesus suffered for you? He suffered for us. When he died on the cross, he gave himself up willingly. The perfect sacrifice in the place of people like me and you so that sinners could come home to God. If that's true of him, then the best way to respond to Christmas is to learn how to let Jesus define you, not yourself. He's our representative, is what Matthew's saying. He's trying to show us the covenant significance of Jesus' birth and life. The covenant significance. That that Jesus is the one who keeps the relationship with God so that you and I could have one freely of charge. Free of charge, just coming in by faith alone representation matters, doesn't it? You can be represented by good people or bad people, and it makes a big difference. Which one? I mean, think about lawyers. Hopefully you've never had to have a lawyer, you know, for any bad reason, but maybe you have. Uh, You can have good lawyers, you can have bad lawyers, right? Uh, And the difference between their representation could not be further, right? It could not be further apart. Uh, on, a, on a football team, at that moment in the game when you're going to kick the game-winning field goal, you send one guy out, the kicker, and he's no bigger than I am, right? He's the smallest guy on the team. And you send that poor little guy out there to represent the entire team and all their fortunes. And yet, we, we, you know, teams trust people like that. They have representation because they believe their kicker's a good one. If their kicker's a bad one, there could not be a bigger difference between the two outcomes, Matthew is saying, when you put your faith in Jesus, you've got representation. A representation you could never have given to yourself. A representation, actually, that nobody could ever give to you. Jesus, God himself, has come in the flesh to take your place in my place so that we could be rescued. That's the first thing. Jesus is better because he brings a better rescue. But secondly, I want you to see, Jesus brings a better restoration to God's people. Uh, That's what Matthew wants us to see there in verses 16 through 18. And here he's highlighting a very violent aspect of the Christmas story. Remember Herod the king, we talked about him last week. Uh, He was a proud man, very arrogant. He ruled over Israel like a dictator. He loved to call himself the king of the Jews and boast about that. Well, when he heard there was going to be another king of the Jews born, he, he reacted with nothing but jealousy. And here in the story it says he was so jealous and so furious that he decided to murder all the baby boys from two years old and younger in Bethlehem and the surrounding area. That's, how, that's the circumstances into which Jesus came into the world. That kind of violence. I mean, can you imagine how hard that would have been to live through? Uh, reading a story like this, you know, makes me thankful for where we live. Does <laughs> it You? And thankful for the times we live in. I mean, th- this is some serious tyranny that the people of Israel are living under, under the reign of Herod. He's killing the babies, and there probably weren't thousands of them, but there were at least dozens of them in, the, in Bethlehem and the surrounding area. It was a small town, but it was not a completely unimportant town. It was, it was very near Jerusalem. The whole nation would have heard, would have caught wind of what was going on. The violence and the brutality. Why would God allow this to happen? Matthew shows us God has a deeper purpose, even behind Herod's violence. That's why he quotes there in verse 18 from the prophet Jeremiah. A voice is heard in Ramah. That's another name for Bethlehem, in the area around Bethlehem. Weeping and great mourning is heard. Why? Rachel, another name for Israel, is weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And yet if you go to Jeremiah 31, which we did earlier in the service, and you read the rest, you know what God says next. That in the moment of greatest darkness in the history of Israel, when they were exiled and underneath the, the cruel power of a tyrant like Herod, it was at that very moment that God was going to speak comfort and peace to his people and fully restore them in a way they could have, you could have never imagined before. And so Jeremiah goes on and says, weep no more because your, your work is going to be rewarded, Israel. Your children are going to be restored to you. They're going to come back to the land. And in that day, he says, I'm going to make a new covenant with them. It's going to be different than the covenant I made with their fathers when they came out of Egypt. Because this time I'm going to write my word on their hearts. I'm going to give them my spirit and forgive their sins so that my people can know me face to face like a friend knows a friend. Later in the service, when we come to communion, we'll see that Jesus himself spoke of a new covenant when he grew up. The night before he died, he said, I, by my blood spilled out, am making the new covenant that Jeremiah promised. Matthew's telling us that even though Jesus' birth began in violence, and even though his life at the cross ended in violence... Violence does not define his ministry or define the world because God is able to take even out of violence and make something that restores us from our hearts outward. You see, the the new covenant promise that God gave to Jeremiah wasn't just that people would become religious. And I I want you to hear me today. Being a Christian doesn't mean you just got a little religion over the top of everything in your life. It doesn't mean you got Jesus painted like a thin coat over a selfish heart. That's not what being a Christian is. Too many times we, we think that. We, we, you know, we think that we're Christians just because we say we are when underneath it there's a heart that is fully wrecked. I mean, it's, the engine is completely broken down in our lives. The new covenant promise says God came to deal with that engine and to replace it, to take out our heart of stone and to put a heart of flesh in us, a heart that cares about God a heart that cares about other people. When Jesus uh, one night talked to a man named Nicodemus, it was nighttime, he was in Jerusalem, and Nicodemus was a very, very religious person. I mean, he, he thought of himself as, you know, a teacher of Israel. And yet Jesus looked at this religious man and he said, if you, Nicodemus, if you're not born again, if you're not born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. The point of that was the same point as this. Jesus came into the world not just to make you a little bit nicer version of yourself. That's good news, right? (laughs) Because underneath us, it's far worse than we think. I mean, I love that saying. I say it all the time. A man named Jack Miller used to say, cheer up. You're far worse than you think you are. (laughs) It's way worse than you think, right? The problem of sin goes far deeper. But at the same time, Jack Miller said, cheer up because you're far more loved than you ever imagined that yourself could be. God loves sinners like us and he loves us enough not just to put a new body of paint over a car without an engine. He loves us to give us a new coat of paint and also to change out the engine, to give us a whole new way of living. And so Jesus, when he was born, In a situation where the women of Israel were weeping over the loss of their children, it was God reminding Israel, that promise I made to Jeremiah all those years ago, I'm about to fulfill it. A new covenant's about to be made. And so this morning, if y'all want to worship Jesus, if we want to worship Jesus together, a great way to do that is to offer up our hearts to him. Jesus does not like just simply lip service. Do you hear that? He doesn't because lip service is just a coat of paint. Over an engineless car. What Jesus does is He gives you a new heart, which He then calls you and me to take and offer promptly, <laughs> eagerly, and sincerely back to Him. That's what real worship is all about. At Christmas, it's really important for us to ask ourselves is our faith just an external accessory that we wear, you know, like a coat of paint over the top? Or is it something that God's Spirit has written and woven into the deep places of our lives? We can ask him to do that today. Because the Jesus who was born in Bethlehem is the one sitting on the throne right now. And he is able. He's got the keys to your heart. He's able to come into those places you can't even get access to. To rewrite things you didn't even know needed to be rewritten. To set you on a different course. That's a better restoration. And the last thing today is Jesus is so much better than anyone else. Because he brings a better radiance. Radiance. A better light. Light. Israel had a mission in the world in the Old Testament. Did you know that? Uh, God didn't choose Israel just so that Israel could have a fun time, just them and God together. Israel was chosen by God so that Israel would be a nation among the nations, giving light to all the world so that other nations would come to God through them. And yet, how did Israel do on that little assignment that God gave them? Yeah, not too well. If you read the Old Testament, man, Israel, they've got some you know great things that happened. God did great work in Israel. But more often than not, Israel is failing at their mission. It's sadly, but instead of being a light to the world, often they become a source of stumbling to the world. I mean, it's a little bit like the church today, right? I mean, we, we can often be a source of stumbling rather than a light. People looked at Israel and said... Man, if that's what it means to be God's people, I I don't want to be God's people. Those people, you know, are cruel, they're mean, they're self-righteous. Same thing that people sometimes say about the church today. But here, this is the good news of of Christianity. Our mission in the world does not depend on us. Amen? (laughs) It does not depend on our ability to shine brightly ourselves on our own steam and by our own oil and fuel. It depends on Jesus' ability to shine in the world and in us and through us. That's exactly what Matthew wants us to see there in verses 19 through 23. He's trying to explain to us how it is that Jesus became Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth was not an important town. It was even less important than Bethlehem was. Uh, It was in Galilee, which was considered to be the worst part of Israel at the time. Uh, Gentiles lived there uh, alongside of Jews, and people thought of the area as just a a mixed place of sin. Uh, Galilee of the nations is what they called it, and they didn't mean that as a compliment. When, When Jesus grew up, you know, some of his disciples asked the question, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because it was the lowest city, the lowest town of all the other towns of Galilee. And so naturally, everybody kind of scratched their head and wondered how could Jesus, how could God's Messiah, Jesus, how could he be from Nazareth? How could he be Jesus of Nazareth? Matthew reminds us God's light loves to shine in the darkest places. God has always promised that when he arrives on the earth, he's going to come not. To the important places, not to the places that have their act together. He's, not, he's a doctor after all. He doesn't visit well people. <laughs> he's a doctor who visits sick people. He, he visits people who are in dire need. And so that's why Jesus was born, or, or Jesus not was born, but he, he was raised and grew up and did all of his ministry, all of his miracles in Nazareth and in Galilee. That's what it says there. Uh, look at verse uh, 23. or 22, having been warned in a dream, Joseph withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in that town called Nazareth. And so it was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He's referring to many different places in the Old Testament that spoke about this theme, that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. Now, one place it says that we read earlier in the service. Uh, Isaiah chapter nine, where it says, "Galilee of the nations, Zebulun and Naphtali, the the north part of Israel, y- you are known as a land of darkness. You are known as a land of deep darkness. In fact, and yet one day in the land of darkness, a great light will shine. A great light will dawn. That's exactly what Matthew is trying to get across to us. Jesus was born so that he could become the light to the world." You and I become lights to our community around us only when we have the light of the world shining in us. It's not because we're good, we have a good plan or a good strategy. That's not going to get it done. It's only because Christ himself, the one who came from Nazareth, the one who knew how to shine in the darkest places, has come to shine in our hearts. Jesus came, in other words, to bring joy. Y'all want to know how to worship Jesus? Here's a great way to worship Jesus. Adorn your faith with the garments of praise and joy. <laughs> Smile sometimes when you think about Jesus, right? Sing loudly, you know, uh, pray with gusto. Come to church like you like to be here, right? That's how we do it, right? We, we get up every day excited about the new assignment that God has given us through his son Jesus. Not, not dragging our feet, not thinking that we are, you know, of all people the most to be pitied, but remembering that Jesus Christ has dawned onto this world a light that brings joy to the nations. And he's brought joy to our hearts, a, a deep joy. You know, joy can be a fragile thing sometimes, can't it? And t- 2020, I think, has taught us this. <laughs> joy can be fragile but joy can also be enduring. It depends on what you try to get joy from, right? Oftentimes I find I'm trying to get joy and we're trying to get joy from circumstances, things, people, ourselves. That's a fragile joy because those things come and go. They're up, they're down. We have to like fight to keep the joy. We have to work really hard and it wears us out. The Bible says in Jesus, the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's a joy that doesn't zap our strength. It's a joy that gives us strength. Why? Because it's not based on circumstances. It's based on the eternal God whose love never changes. He didn't start loving us, and he's never going to stop loving us. And so our joy is like drawing from a spring, the more water we draw, the more there is to come out. It just continues to gush out because we believe that Jesus has lit a light that we could never light. He shined into the darkest places, including into me. And so people ought to look at us and say, wow, that's a people that, man, I know they don't have all their stuff together. They're, they're pretty messed up people, really, but they are full of a joy that I simply cannot explain. A joy unspeakable is what the Bible says. A joy that cannot even be spoken of accurately because it defies explanation. That's what Jesus comes to bring. When the Queen of Sheba, uh, back in the Old Testament, the Queen of Sheba was a foreign queen. She came to visit Solomon and Solomon had this beautiful palace and all these glorious things. Israel had never done better than under King Solomon. Solomon. The queen of Sheba came and said to Solomon, Solomon, how happy are your servants? How happy are those that attend to you? What Matthew is saying is if we really believe in Jesus, the Nazarene, the one who went even there to shine his light, we ought to also be people that everyone looks at and says, oh, how happy are your servants. How full of joy. Amen?